Welcome to Balance of Power on 1039-1450-WKXL-NHTalkRadio.com. Also, wherever you get your podcasts, I'm Ken Kale, joined by our panel, two-time U.S. Representative Paul Hodes, former senior staffer and campaign manager Matt Robeson, and columnist and political analyst Alicia Preston. Well, the end of this week marks Joe Biden's first 100 days in office. He will address a joint session of Congress on Wednesday night. How effective has he been in terms of his core agenda that he set out uh, to address? We're talking about the pandemic, helping people get out of the economic downturn and changing the tone and the chaos, if you will, of the Trump era. Alicia? Well, let me start with the latter part first. Um, I think the toning down of political rhetoric is a long path for us forward and one that we are still on. Um, He certainly is not as bombastic as President Trump was. And uh, so there's been a little bit of a not waking up in the morning and wondering what Twitter is going to be talking about in an emergent kind of manner. So that part's been good. I happen to think President Biden has presented himself as far more liberal in office than he presented himself on the campaign trail. And I think that's unfortunate. Um, I think the embracement of AOC type policies and, um, you know, things that he's put forward, the committee on the, you know, packing the court and $2 trillion spending bills that have 600 billion of things that are unrelated and embracement of HR1 and uh, the Green New Deal. These aren't promises he made to the constituency when he was trying to get into office, but he's pursuing them in office. I will give him credit for one thing. um, And it's something that got a lot less attention than other things he's done. And that is I completely support and respect the decision to uh, acknowledge the Armenian genocide. I think it's about 100 years overdue. And I thought it was a bold move, unexpected from him, in my opinion. And I do support that. So I will list one thing that I am full support of in his first 100 days. Paul Holtz. Well, as a two-timing congressman, because that's what you said I was, I I really appreciate Alicia's perspective. And I agree with her that calling the Armenian genocide a genocide was a, a good move, one that I fully support. I supported it uh, way back when I was in Congress. Um, I think Biden gets pretty high marks. First, um, the tone has from the White House has changed completely, and it has changed completely. Uh, it's been businesslike. Uh, the worst that uh, folks have been calling Joe Biden is boring, and these days that's pretty good. Boring, boring is is not bad for a president because it means he's he's busy working. We haven't had. Uh, I, I don't know if he uses Twitter. Somebody for him must use Twitter, but he doesn't use Twitter, and everybody's blood pressure, to some extent, has has gone down. Um, Pego and I, my wife, we were talking this morning at at breakfast and we said, yeah, you know, from the White House, uh, we're not as worried about what we're going to wake up with uh, for tweets. But on this at the same time, we're not out of the woods because the far right Republican Party is like a Hydra monster. You cut off one head and eight grow back. And the crazy um, that's coming from uh, the right. um, And I'm sorry, Alicia, but your party. Uh, is no longer the Republican Party. They still appear to be the party of the Trumpeters. Um, they, the, the crazy is perpetuating. 
Um, there are there are there are more things happening on the right. I mean, it, it it's everything from Tucker Tucker Carlson to what's going on in Texas, and it's it it hasn't it hasn't stopped. But Biden has been businesslike, and that is a good thing for a president. His foreign policy uh, includes reasserting our place in the world as the leader of the free world. He is once again uh, placed the United States uh, back into the fight against climate change, um, pledging to be a leader on climate change. And if 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 you think that means uh, the 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 Green New Deal is a bad deal, then you're living in the last century or the century before, because um, we need to we need to deal with climate change. Uh, it's an existential dilemma that's already costing us billions and billions of dollars in the economy and will going forward. Um, and uh, actually dealing with climate change and a green approach uh, means jobs and it means a new economy and it means innovation, all things which Republicans ought to support. So on foreign policy, whether it's rejoining the, the nations um, and getting out of Afghanistan, he gets high marks. Uh, on uh, the economic package that he presented to rescue folks. It's going to take a while to really sink in, but it includes really important things that are going to help help restore economic growth in light of the pandemic, where um, he, promi- he made promises. Uh, Joe Biden came in making promises about what he'd do on the pandemic, and he's beat them by double, 200%. Uh, better on vaccinations than his original goal. Um, if, if uh, you know, the polls are right, uh, we've got 24% of Republicans, um, your party, Alicia, who are refusing to take vaccines, 24% who are refusing to take vaccines. I don't know what Joe Biden could do about that, but he's not calling people names and he's not saying stupid things. He's got his head down and he is working and his administration is working to get us out of the woods. And while the world is seeing huge surges in places like Brazil and India, and we are seeing pockets of surges in this country, um, given the variants and refusals and, you know, things are moving forward in a way that now a significant majority of Americans uh, and I grant you um, a huge majority of Democrats, a, a tiny minority of Republicans, and a majority of independents think that the country is um, turning around. This is like turning. This isn't like turning around a Riviera Speedster. This is like turning around an aircraft carrier. And Biden gets very high marks for his first hundred days. He's at fifty-three percent total approval, sixty-nine percent approval. Uh, in his handling of the pandemic, uh, I I think he's done a re- I think he's done a remarkable thing in light of where we were and what Trump left. Your assessment, Matt Robeson. I want to take issue with two things that my co-panelists said. I dispute the idea that Joe Biden has somehow embraced the Green New Deal. Uh, we should not fall into that very unsubtle Republican messaging trap 
at no point has he embraced the Green New Deal. He explicitly pushed back against it during his campaign. And the, propo the proposals he's put forward on climate bear no resemblance whatsoever to AOC. I, you know, they're, they're pretty sensible middle of the road policies. So I'm just not going to buy into that. Paul, I'm also not going to buy into your self-characterization as a two-timing congressman. Um, I think you are a two-time congressman. Um, and if you are two-timing, Mm, yeah, we'll talk about that off the air. Uh, my assessment overall does uh, uh, otherwise uh, align with both Alicia's and Paul's. I do give Joe Biden cre uh, credit for his foreign policy decisions. And it's very hard to avoid focusing on the top line numbers. Uh, Paul went through some of them. I mean, we were averaging almost 200,000 new cases a day of COVID when Biden took office. Uh, that's down to about a quarter of that. Ditto on deaths. Um, you know, obviously we know that he's uh, way overshot the vaccine target. Um, and economically, we're doing really well. The only economic indicator that Donald Trump habitually pointed to was Wall Street. It's a very poor indicator of the real economy uh, and how the majority of Americans are doing. But for what it's worth, growth on Wall Street has been higher than any president in the first hundred days since Eisenhower. Um, and we're also seeing real economy measures that are turning around under Biden. Uh, the proportion of people expecting someone in their household to lose employment income in the next four weeks has gone uh, in half. Um, the, the number of households living uh, in difficulty with paying expenses has gone down about uh, 7%. So we're seeing uh, real accomplishments in the core issues that Biden identified from the get-go. It reminds me a little bit of 10 years ago when during President Obama's re-election campaign, he summarized the message as, bin Laden is dead and GM is alive. Well, COVID is going down and the economy is coming up. I think you have to give Joe Biden credit for that. Alicia, how effective has uh, Joe Biden been politically? Well, I think it depends on whether or not you like his po policies and his what he's presented. Um, yes, Joe Biden separated himself from the Green New Deal, you know, the month before the election and presents a plan that has about 90 percent of it in, in his own endorsement of what he wants to do about climate change. But, you know, does Joe Biden get credit for a recovering economy? Look, whomever's steering the ship at the time anything happens gets the credit or the blame. That's just how it works. How legitimate is it? I kind of think we could have one of my dogs at the helm right now and the economy would be improving. We're coming out of a global pandemic. Um, no matter what anybody does, it's going to be improving. And so he gets credit in the history books because that's how we do it. But if you dig deep down into it, you know, who gets credit? I don't know, the people who created a vaccine and started to open this country up again. Um, you know, Paul mentioned vaccines and the 20 something percent of Republicans who won't get it. And, and I agree with you. I think it's unfortunate. I actually think some of those are people that are just scared, which I sympathize with. I empathize with. I'm vaccinated now. I was scared too, but I did it. I think some it's political. Um, we all know that there is a small sector of the Republican party, just like there's a small sector of the democratic party that are of the extremes. And in this case, they don't trust government. They don't believe in government. I mean, some of them still think Bill Gates is going to put a microchip in us. You know, I, I don't know how to address those kind of tin hat wearing theories. Um, but I wish people would get vaccinated. I think it's unfortunate it's attributed to the Republican Party because I don't think it's a political issue at all. Um, but you know how Joe Biden is doing politically is very much based on 
his policies. Republicans aren't going to like most of them. Democrats are going to like most of them. But the people who are going to make the decision are the ones in the middle. And I happen to think that the embracing of some of these far left ideals that he has put forward is going to make middle America oppose him politically. But it's going to matter what gets put into law. At the end of the day, when people go to vote in an election, whether it's a midterm or whether it's an ex-presidential, it's not going to be about necessarily what they talked about. It's going to be about what they achieved or failed at. And I guess we have a long way to go to see how that pans out. Congressman Holtz. Well, uh, Matt Robeson raises a legitimate point. I don't want to give in to Republican messaging about the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal is, was actually, is actually merely a resolution uh, that does not have the force of legislation. It was never specific legislation. And the Green New Deal really is a concept uh, more than anything else about what it will take to move us forward out of the ignorance of uh, those who deny climate or don't see it as the threat it is towards a more prosperous, better lifestyle, cleaner, uh, healthier planet. Um, and it's in, you know, so we're facing an existential crisis. Uh, generally, the Republicans um, are regressive about that uh, crisis. They do not see the opportunity for new jobs, new industries, innovation, entrepreneurship uh, that are going to be necessary in a green economy to move us forward. The marketplace has already has already spoken. When um, J.P. Morgan Chase says that they're going to spend two and a half trillion dollars over the next ten years investing in clean, green technology, um, you know that the market is way ahead of the politicians. It's way ahead of uh, the Republicans um, that, that who, are, who are stuck somewhere. It's, it's a mystery to me why a party that prides itself on being business friendly and entrepreneurial will not embrace uh, science technology and help us move forward. So politically, uh, Joe Biden is not embracing crazy left ideas. He is answering the call uh, the the of the climate crisis, and answering that call is going to bring us uh, jobs and uh, jobs and prosperity, and uh, a needed approach to a green economy. So call me a radical lefty. Uh, certainly on climate, I'm a radical lefty, um, and I embrace the radical lefty ideas about a clean green economy because you know in my other life. Uh, that's what I'm pursuing. I'm out helping to uh, helping businesses go solar. Um, that's not a radical left idea. They're going to save money. They're going to save energy, and it's going to help save the planet. On in terms of uh, uh, the the political effectiveness of Biden, he certainly uh, is effective with the left. He's certainly effective with independents. Uh, at this point, the Republican Party um, uh, is a lost cause. I, I am I'm sorry, Alicia, and I'm sorry that for your grand old party, which was um, uh, a, a, a business friendly party that uh, actually cared about financial responsibility. That all went out the window when when the Republicans embraced Trump and became the, the Trump party. The place that Biden really has to worry about his political future is on immigration because uh, it's a thorny, long-standing problem without uh, really clear answers. There is a humanitarian crisis on the border. 
uh, significantly perpetrated by the past administration, which Biden inherited. And just as Alicia said, that whoever uh, is uh, presiding when the economy goes well gets credit, um, whoever is presiding uh, over the endless immigration problem, uh, and especially in light of very effective Republican messaging. Let's give the Republicans credit for, for great uh, political messaging. They're really uh, driving that. That is the one issue. That's where politi uh, politically, I think Biden's Achilles heel is. It's a challenge because it's such a long-term uh, and such a complex problem with roots in uh, the, failed, the failed nations that uh, refugees and asylum seekers come from uh, and uh, the, just the sheer volume and numbers uh, that we've got to deal with. Immigration is a real problem, and it is Biden's Achilles heel. Matt Robeson, politically speaking, how effective has uh, Biden been? Extremely. And I'm going to relish my role taking issue with uh, my co-panelists today, which uh, seems to be. First of all, I do want to say, Alicia, there is a 40-point polling gap in vaccine hesitancy between Republicans and Democrats. This isn't a both sidesism type thing. Like this is this is mostly Republicans. Um, you know, th th this is them saying it. And by the way, there's been a lot of reporting that behind the scenes, Trump's advisors are pleading with him. Please, pretty, pretty please, Donald Trump, won't you cut a public service announcement calling on people to get the vaccine? For goodness sakes, why don't you take credit for one of the achievements of your administration, which legitimately was there. They, they accelerated vaccine development through Operation warp speed, which was badly named, but somewhat effective. For goodness sakes, why don't you tackle this? But where I'm really going to take issue, it's not with Alicia. It's with my former boss, Paul Hodes. I actually don't think that Biden's greatest vulnerability is on immigration. It's, it's, it's always a fraught political topic. I think his greatest vulnerability is the politics of the left. And this is where I'm going to turn around and agree with Alicia's point. I don't think that anything he's done so far has been radically progressive, but he's in danger of it going forward. His biggest political achievement of the first hundred days is to tame the left. It's to keep everyone inside the tent. Well, LBJ had a, had a uh, pretty uh, uh, ribald metaphor for this, but he's kept everyone inside the tent, aiming their fire outwards uh, on the left. And that is a subtle recognition of a big deep down difference between the two parties and their bases. There is a misunderstanding in American politics that the two parties are mirror images of one another. They are not. The Republican party operates, it's far more demographically homogenous. It's pretty ideologically homogenous. It's fairly easy to motivate the Republican party and its base by appealing to more extreme issues and getting them riled up. That's sort of 101 messaging on the Republican side. That's why Donald Trump was so effective. The same thing is not true in the Democratic Party. Remember, 52% of Democrats self-identify as moderate or conservative. It was a fundamental misunderstanding of the Democratic presidential primary when so many candidates tried to race to the left and outwoke one another. It drove moderates in the party like me up the wall, absolutely bonkers. You had the entire democratic stage raising their hand saying that they wanna decriminalize border crossing when 
something like 40% of Latinos say that they actually support that policy. So, I mean, that's, it just goes to say that Democrats fundamentally misunderstand that the way to be politically successful is to do what Republicans do and be more woke, be more inflammatory. Biden's singular insight so far and his singular political achievement of the first 100 days is to keep progressives on board and to enact reasonable policies that have strong nods to progressive priorities, but lower the temperature, lower the rhetoric, and not inflame the Republican base against him. We've been talking about the first 100 days of the Biden administration. How should we judge the next 100 days and the rest of the year, Congressman Hodes? Well, that's that's an interesting question. Um, uh, Matt Robeson and I uh, interviewed an expert on national security uh, on our show, Beyond Politics. Uh, we had Sean Carberry, uh, who has worked uh, as a correspondent and columnist on national security, has spent a significant amount of time uh, in Afghanistan and around the world, um, and talked about how fraught uh, the policy has been on Afghanistan, a series of misguided uh, blunders uh, that uh, have left us 20 years on with a essentially a resurgent Taliban and likely uh, a Taliban that uh, could take power in Afghanistan. So on there are foreign policy issues uh, that are going to be very thorny for the Biden administration. Um, I've read recently that uh, uh, Vladimir Putin, and, and I'll refrain from hacking our show today, but that, that comrade uh, Putin uh, is, um, is withdrawing or, uh, his massive troops uh, in Ukraine. And Biden and foreign policy is going to have to, it seems, may be able to turn things around a bit with Putin, who, um, because Biden isn't Trump. And we have serious issues with China, all of, all of which uh, suggests to me that um, foreign policy, including um, uh, bringing the world or the developed world together around climate change, are going to be um, significant longstanding challenges for the Biden administration, some of which are new, not many of which are on people's minds, given what's going on with uh, the pandemic uh, and the economy. Um, he faces a significant challenge with the ongoing pandemic. Uh, it has now been more than a year. Uh, and while the metrics and the numbers are definite, are going in the right direction, as Matt uh, Robeson pointed out earlier in the show, um, deaths are down, hospitalizations are down in the U.S. Um, variants are emerging around the globe. Um, the pandemic is is raging. Uh, this is a global pandemic. A global pandemic has serious implications for the security. Um, and health of the citizens of the United States. So that in addition to the standard foreign policy challenges, the Biden administration's choices about how to engage uh, with the rest of the world around the pandemic also pose uh, significant challenges. Um, and uh, we may be in for an even longer haul than anybody ever thought 
about about the pandemic that poses challenges both for for the popularity of the president, but also for economic policies. Uh, when will be, we really be able to reopen? And if we do reopen, are we going to see um, another surge of the kind that has presented itself in other countries who are warning us about too early reopening? Because we're all tired. We're all tired of this. I mean, just just bone weary, tired of the masks and not getting together with people and the news. It's and it's really from a political standpoint, the ability to stay the course, be patient uh, and be smart is 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 always a challenge. And and it may be that there are those events out of out of the the administration's control. Uh, so I think the next hundred days when the honeymoon is over, um, if tradition holds true and the honeymoon is over, um, present uh, serious challenges, both from a political standpoint and from a practical standpoint in, in not just looking back to the promises made, kept and exceeded, uh, but do you keep on under promising and over delivering or do you now switch to making promises that you can keep um, and going on the PR offensive um, in, uh, in political terms? Alicia, what about the next uh, 100 days and beyond? Well, I think it's fair to acknowledge that it's easier to predict the next 100 days under a Biden administration than it was to predict it under a Trump administration. <laughs> <laughs> we all agree. <laughs> um, you know, he I don't know what to expect. I expect it to be very similar to the first 100. You know, he'll present his policies. It will be calmer. There'll be partisan fighting um, and disagreement. I think a lot of the next 100 days will be reflected upon how the economy is doing. As federal funds are drying up for small businesses, or as people are opening up, the jobs market is reopening, but can everyone get a job? In New Hampshire, we have a very low unemployment rate, but those numbers waffle as well. You know, How are people going to be doing in their own lives in three months will be reflective of how people think the Biden administration is doing, because that's what it always comes down to, right? How, how is the president doing? I don't know. Can I, can I pay my mortgage? Can I make my car payment? Can I put food on my table? That will, will be, particularly in the kind of economy we are in now coming out of this pandemic, that will be the determinant of how the Joe Biden administration is doing, regardless of what policies he puts forward. Yeah. I'd say in terms of judging the next 100 days and the rest of 2021, I'd point to three things. One, I agree with, but for a refreshing change on this show, I'm going to agree with everything Alicia just said, 100 <laughs> percent. Uh, look, uh, leadership does matter. Alicia was right earlier when she said you can't pin all of the success of a, an economy or a public health campaign on the current occupant of the Oval Office. That's true. On the other hand, you can credit a heck of a lot, a substantial amount toward leadership, recent leadership especially. Just contrast where we were in year one of the, of the pandemic under Donald Trump and his many, many fundamental disastrous missteps and the relatively competent leadership we've had out of the White House. People are right to give some credit to Joe Biden for that. So Alicia is right. If for the next 100 days and the remainder of the year, we continue on this course of economic recovery tied to increasing rates of vaccination and public health measures that control the pandemic, yes, Joe Biden should and will get some credit for that. 
The second area is, I remember, I've already name-checked LBJ in this show, so I might as well go back to it. When, when Lyndon Johnson was presented with the proposal to enact the 1964 Civil Rights Bill, and his advisor said to him, don't do it, you will lose the 1964 election, you will lose the South for a generation. He turned around to them and he said, well, what the hell's the presidency for? And to some extent, Joe Biden faces that same kind of existential question. It's widely expected, especially after the census numbers came out and the redistricting numbers came out this week and are expected on their own to shift five seats in the House toward the Republican Party. It's widely expected that Democrats are going to lose the House in 2022, if not the Senate as well. There are wide open questions about whether an aging Joe Biden will run for a second term. He's probably got 18 months at this point, and he's got to be asking himself, what the hell's the presidency for? He's already laid out the American jobs plan, the American families plan. He's basically called his shot. He's like Babe Ruth pointing out to the bleachers with his bat and saying, this is where I want to go. And so I think it's worth judging in the remainder of this year. Can he get one or two other big pieces of legislation through that lay out the accomplishments that he wants, which may be the only accomplishments of his presidency. And finally, number three, and when I say only accomplishments, I mean legislatively, because there's an awful lot of other things that happen. Joe Biden is a duck. Joe Biden is serene above the surface, paddling like crazy underneath it. And you see it in the actions of his executive agencies. Merrick Garland announcing a policing probe of Louisville, Kentucky after Breonna Taylor's death. Uh, the Biden administration announcing a $15 wage for federal contractors. You don't have to do everything legislatively. In fact, 95% of policy action in this day and age happens inside the executive agencies. And so while Biden has been quiet, speaking softly, he's also carrying the stick of ongoing agency action. So at the end of the year, I expect that we'll be able to look back and catalog dozens and dozens of effective and impactful agency actions going on beneath the surface, the kinds of things that you don't normally hear about, but make a huge difference in people's lives. Alicia, what about the Republicans? Is the party out of power mostly right now? How do we evaluate their role in the first days of a new presidential administration? Well, you know, I think legislatively, for the most part, they're all on the same page. I think there still is a divide. I think there's more of a divide with the elected Republicans than there is with the Republicans who are just we normal Joes. Um, you know, there was this retreat recently for GOP congressional members and Kevin McCarthy, the leader, and um, Liz Cheney, who is also in leadership, you know, had a public disagreement in the public press conferences. And I, I think that doesn't help us. Um, the fact is, all of these Republicans in Congress, you know, whether they're divided over the legacy of Donald Trump or not, support the same ideology, you know, 85% of the time. And I think they've got to focus on that. Um, I think they have calmed down. I think more are speaking out for um, the issues and foundational issues we believe in. I don't know why anyone is still talking about Donald Trump. And I don't say that 
you know, to disregard Donald Trump or dislike Donald Trump, I say he's not in office, you know, and as long as they're talking about Donald Trump, they're not focusing on the legislative priorities they should be focusing on. And the media is not focusing on those. And the public, therefore, is not focusing on those, letting us know what's happening that we in middle America may not like. So, you know, I give them a B minus personally and how the Republicans have done um, great grades when it comes to um, what they support from a policy standpoint, but they got to up the game a little bit and getting on the same page with some PR activities to show that they are united for us, not for past politicians. Well, what about those pesky Republicans? Well, far be it from me to comment really intelligently because I, I have a confession to make. I, I just, I just don't understand Republicans. I confess my lack of ability to understand how a political party, a once grand old party could lose its way so significantly. They are like a lost tribe wandering in the wilderness, trying to see where they can try to regain power, regain their glory, keep their connection. Business has been abandoning Republicans. They haven't really, they're now trying to claim apparently that the January 6th insurrection was all a left-wing plot um, to, to, I don't know what, to, to, pin it on, to pin it on Republicans. They have become a party of uh, no ideas, um, extreme rhetoric, uh, and uh, they cannot get away from Donald Trump. Um, the 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 battle between the uh, McCarthy's and the Cheneys um, is endemic of the kind of public display of disunity. Uh, and on this, I agree with Alicia. That is really not good uh, for any political party. At least the Democrats. Um, whether they're in the far left or, or the center, uh, seem to be presenting a more united front. Now, whether or not the disunity um, and disarray and lack of, of um, lack of intellectual integrity in a political from a political standpoint, I mean, the Republicans have just become the party of abject hypocrisy. Uh, they claimed to be fiscally responsible and against deficits and drove this country under Donald Trump into uh, the deepest deficit uh, we've we've seen. Um, they claim uh, to want to 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 want to keep government out of out of your lives and yet their policies on um, uh, women's rights are aberrant. Uh, they they claim to be a party of family values, and uh, they've got Matt Gates as the poster boys for the values uh, that unfortunately um, uh, they have to struggle with. Um, so it, it's a real it's it, it, they're in a challenging place. All that said, the American electorate is fickle, and and we've got midterms coming up, and historically. Uh, the party in power uh, loses loses the House, loses the Senate um, in the midterms. There, I can't see any good reason why that should happen, but uh, given given the 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 ADHD of the American electorate, uh, just as it happened in New Hampshire in the last election with a big sweep, we could see we could see another title change. I, I can't tell you what the big issue is going to be. 
but it could happen. Matt, your thoughts? Republicans, from a political standpoint, hold serve in 2022. They're sitting on a likely winning lottery ticket because of the dynamics of the midterm elections. Historically, since 1946, the party that does not hold the presidency in the first midterm election has always gained seats and has usually then held the House. We just referred to the census numbers, which drove the redistricting numbers, which means that the Republican advantage is even greater. They hold about a 100 seat advantage in number of House seats that they will thoroughly control the district boundaries for in the upcoming election. So from a political standpoint, it's not like they have to do much to be successful in 2022. We talked on this show about their likely political blueprint They would try and coalesce as the party in opposition. And for the most part, notwithstanding what Alicia was pointing to, some disagreements at the top between Kevin McCarthy and Liz Cheney over what role Donald Trump should have in the party. Fundamentally, they've they've done that. And again, they don't have to do a lot to be politically successful in 2022. I'm actually not all that interested in that that narrow slice of, of your question, Ken. I'm a lot more interested, and I think this whole panel is, and hopefully our listeners are, in what is the role of the Republican Party in our country and our society over the next five or 10 years? I happen to believe as a Democrat that there is an important role for a center-right party in the US. It acts as a moderating, restraining force on our politics that keeps us closer to the center where the bulk of the American people want us to be. It keeps us on track and it leads to a healthy exchange of ideas. So what I'm looking for is something Paul was pointing to a moment ago, which is what are the ideas coming out of the Republican party? Where do they want to take our country? One of the things that Donald Trump did, and it was, you know, people often forget that the first thing that he took over wasn't the U.S., politics. It was Republican Party politics. And he scrambled longstanding positions about trade and foreign policy and immigration. And he he essentially discombobulated Republican politics. I'm still looking for those politics to recoalesce. I'm looking for new conservative ideas. I will give you an example right now. On the Great Ideas Show, which is broadcast on Thursdays on WKXL and available on the Great Ideas podcast, I have a Republican, Brian Riedel of the Manhattan Institute, a pretty conservative think tank, by the way. Uh, He's a former policy director for Rob Portman. He wrote the budget blueprint for Mitt Romney. Um, This is a serious operative in Republican politics. And he outlines his plan for something called devolution, basically giving more power to states, municipalities, and localities, less power to the federal government in a whole bunch of key areas, transportation, education, et cetera. I think it's a really interesting idea. I think it's worth talking about. His big pitch is it could help lower the temperature in some of our politics. Let's let's restrain some of the things we disagree about and not have all these fights play out at the federal level. As a Democrat, I think it's worth thinking about. I think it's worth talking about. I'd like to hear more good ideas like that that are worth discussing out of the Republican Party. So performance so far, eh, it's been fine. They're politically, they're fine. But I actually want to see more out of Republicans in the remainder of the year. 
So let me just add, let me follow up and ask you a question, Matt Robeson, because that's what they do on radio. You know, what we do is we always say the two names. Oh, let me ask you a question, Matt Robeson. Um, <laughs> uh, are the elected Republicans, uh, those who I just spent some wonderful uh, jaw time castigating, are they connected or disconnected from the kinds of ideas that you just talked about? Because I agree with you that that's a legitimate debate to have. Um, it's at the root of the uh, gener generational questions that we've dealt with as Americans about uh, the size and scope of federal government and federal programs versus local control. It is one of those essential uh, differences that has always existed uh, between Republicans um, who, under the rubric of smaller government, have said they're in favor of more local control. But we haven't seen much of that uh, thinking from the electeds. Are they connected or disconnected from those kinds of ideas? Are they so married to anti-science, anti-intellectual, anti-government, um, uh, and all we do is oppose that they can't wrap their brains around the idea of an actual real debate about something that might have real impact on our politics and our lives as Americans. I'm gonna bank shot this question over to Alicia in about 30 seconds. I'll just give you a perspective that on, the, on this show, on Beyond Politics, I had a fascinating interview with a scholar who laid out the whole history of the intellectual ecosystem of the Republican Party over the last 50 years and a conscious effort to engineer it, starting with the leadership of the party, the electeds, in a vastly more conservative direction that led to a rift between the base of voters and elected leaders up until about the last five or 10 years, during which the Trump base kind of came to the fore and there was kind of this realignment. So I, 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 I think that Republicans as a party have really lost track of where they are on ideas because of these consciously engineered efforts combined with their political incentives are all out of whack. They're all they're much more concerned about their primary politics on their right than being in the vast middle of the American electorate. That's my perspective. Alicia, you have a much smarter perspective than I do. What do you think? You know, I think it would be fantastic if Republicans would present these ideas and Democrats would enjoy and engage in a discussion. But I think we all know that ain't going to happen. They could come up with the best plan in the world. They could come up with a plan that you agreed with a week ago, not you personally, Democrat Congressperson A, and there will be no discussion. This idea that partisanship is strictly a Republican realm is just ridiculous. Everyone is divisive right now, right? If a Republican comes up with an idea, a Democrat's going to oppose it. If a Democrat comes up with an idea, a Republican's going to oppose it. You know, early on this show, I praised Joe Biden for his um, acknowledgement of the Armenian genocide. There are a lot of Republicans out there criticizing it who don't even know what it is, right? Just like when Donald Trump supported the move of the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, Democrats went up in arms, despite the fact that the year before people like Senator Shaheen spoke on the Senate floor that that should be done. This is the world we're in right now. So I would love to say Republicans come forward with your great ideas that Democrats want to listen. They don't want to hear it. So instead, I say Republicans, hold your line, oppose all the liberal extremism that is coming out of Washington. You'll get elected and get power in 22 if you do that without being too bombastic 
get away from Donald Trump, and then you can start moving forward with your great ideas and not listen to the Democrats. Oh, one more thing. Congressman Hodes mentioned Matt Gates as being a problem for the Republican Party. Can we all agree that piggish behavior by men in power is a pretty fantastically bipartisan issue? Yes, he just happens to be a Republican. Right, but it's not exactly <laughs> he, a partisan he, issue. He, he's a pain, he is currently a, a pain in an elephant's rear, not, not a donkey's rear. But, you know, look, I, I mean, we do have Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> and on that note, I think we're going to have to wrap things up for this edition <laughs> of uh, Balance of Power, probably just in time. For Alicia Preston, Matt Robeson, and Paul Hodes, I'm Ken Kale. Join us next time for Balance of Power.